Blog Talk Radio. I ask my friends who are apologizing for not insisting upon this right, where can the black man look in this country for the assertion of his right if he may not look to the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society? Where, under the whole heavens, can he look for sympathy in asserting this right if he may not look to this platform? Have you lifted us up to a certain height to see that we are men and then are any disposed to leave us there without seeing that we are put in possession of all our rights? We look naturally to this platform for the assertion of all our rights and for this one especially. I understand the anti-slavery societies of this country to be based on two principles. First, the freedom of the blacks of this country. And second, the elevation of them. Let me not be misunderstood here. I am not asking for sympathy at the hands of abolitionists, sympathy at the hands of any. I think the American people are disposed often to be generous rather than just. I look over this country at the present time and I see educational societies, sanitary commissions, freedmen's associations and the like, all very good. But in regard to people of color in this land, there has always been more that is benevolent, I perceive, than just manifested toward us. What I ask for the black man is not benevolence, not pity, not sympathy, but simply justice. The American people have always been anxious to know what they shall do with us. Everybody has asked the question and learned to ask it early of the abolitionists. What shall we do with the black man? I have had but one answer from the beginning. Do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. Do nothing with us. If the apple will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are worm-eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, then let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, then let them fall. If the black man cannot stand on his own legs, then let him fall also. All I ask is, give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. If you see him on his way to school, let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going to the dinner table at a hotel, then let him go. If you see him going to the ballot box, then let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going into a workshop, just let him alone. Your interference is doing him a positive injury. Let him fall if he cannot stand alone. 
black man cannot live by the line of eternal justice, the fault will not be yours. It will be his who made the black man and established that line for his government. Let him live or die by that. If you will only untie his hands and give him a chance, I think he will live. He will work as readily for himself as the white man. Now a great many delusions have been swept away by this war. One was that the black man would not work. He has proved his ability to work. Another was that the black man would not fight. That he possessed only the most cheapest attributes of humanity. Was a perfect lamb or an Uncle Tom. Disposed to take off his coat whenever required. Hold his hands and be whipped by anybody who wanted to whip him. But this war, this war has proved that there is a great deal of human nature in that black man. And that yes, he will fight. Welcome, folks, mm. to another thrilling episode of the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. You know, when I when I hear Frederick Douglass's speech, what a black man wants, and narrated by what I consider to be a very underrated actor, Michael Wright. When I hear this speech narrated by Michael Wright, read by Michael Wright, with his distinctive voice, a sense of pride, every, I mean every single time, a sense of pride just, just takes hold of me. I feel, I feel proud. I feel proud to be an American. As I always do every time I wake up, and every morning I wake up, or even every afternoon if I take a nap. But I feel a sense of pride as an American and certainly as a black man. Frederick Douglass was a black man. He was a runaway slave. No formal education whatsoever, and... The first man to hold the title counselor to the president. Counselor to the president. He was the first man to hold the title counselor to the president. Think about that just just for a moment. A black man. A former slave. In fact, he... He's a runaway slave, even at that point. So, um, yeah. But what's most important about that great speech was the message that somehow gotten lost over the generations that 
we as black people must be left alone, not allowed to stand on our own, because allowed wouldn't be the appropriate appropriate verbiage, the, pro- the appropriate word, but we must be left to stand on our own, to rise and fall on our own. In 1865, at the time this speech was given, slaves had only recently received or was awarded or given their freedom, earned their freedom in many cases. And even at that point, the most prominent black man in America was advocating, don't help us. Don't give us anything that we have not earned through work, hard work and effort. Leave us alone. Don't help me. Let me stand on my own. Let me stand or fall without the help of the government or white people. <laughs> it's funny how it, it's, well, you know, it's interesting how um, back then black men my ancestors they felt this way they felt the they they understood what frederick douglas was saying they didn't want help from the government they didn't want anything they just wanted to have a chance but now Look at look at look at our, look at the world. Look at look at look at our country. Listen, observe. Black men and women who never could never even conceptualize or conceive what it would be like to be a slave, to be an indentured servant, to be whipped and beaten and live in squalor. They believe. A lot of them, mostly liberals, not all of them liberals really, believe that America owes them a living, a living wage in many cases, that America owes them, people today, millennials, young people, reparations for a fate they never suffered. America owes them a free education, free health care. Gimme, 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 gimme. Gimme, gimme, I'm worth it. Uh, uh, I'm worth it. Yeah. That's what black folks are talking about. That's what young people, black, white, doesn't make any difference. They're all expecting something for nothing. Well, Welcome to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date is, wow, time is really flying, folks. It's July 9th, 
2018, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun, and me, your host, I'm somewhere in the continental United States. It could be Virginia. It could be Georgia. It could be South Florida. It could be my hometown of Chicago, Illinois. It could be a damn parking lot or Wendy's or McDonald's. But nevertheless, because I have broadcasted from some of those places, let's get started with our show. And I think my monologue went on a little long. I've been asked. No, I've been told. You need to learn your history. You need to learn where you come from. You just an Uncle Tom. Had another one person just the other day say, You need to understand your heritage. What about your heritage? You do realize you're black, right? This is what they say to me. You do realize you're an African American. All of that. I hear it all the time. And, you know, my response has always been, yes, I realize I'm black. And among the five major reasons why I'm a conservative, a Republican, number three is because I'm black. You see, most People are either a Democrat by design or a Democrat by deception. That is, either they were well aware the racist history of the Democrat Party and still chose to be a Democrat, or they were deceived into thinking that the Democrat Party is a party that sincerely cared about black people. And let me tell you something. Right here and now, if you're a black person and you want the Democrat Party to care about you, you want the government to care about you, you were either ignored as a child, hugged too much, not enough, potty trained at gunpoint, you didn't have a daddy, didn't have a mama, or you something like that. Because I, you know, I can't conceive of ever wanting the Republican Party to care about me or the government to care about me because I believe firmly and wholeheartedly in what Frederick Douglass wrote and believed in the speech, what a black man wants, to be left alone. I don't need the government to care about me. I don't need the government to give me anything. But there are those who will say, well, you know, not everybody is as fortunate as you are. Not everybody grew up the way you did. What does that have to do with anything? So you feel as though somehow you're disadvantaged so you need some free stuff. You need the, the government to care about you. You need the government to give you this and give you that and take care of you 
from cradle to grave because somehow either the prenatal care was lacking or the gene pool was tainted and somehow you couldn't make it on your own. You couldn't figure it out. You're disadvantaged. When I when I hear about that sort of thing, I think about Frederick Douglass, who was a runaway slave with absolutely no formal education, taught himself, self-taught, like President Lincoln, self-taught. And then I hear about disadvantaged people, a lack of education, poor public school systems. You want to learn, you'll find a way to learn. You want to learn to read, you'll find a way to learn to read. You'll grab every book you can get your hands on. You'll make a way if you want it. Don't you agree? The calling number is 646-668-8678. Now, history reveals that every piece, every piece of racial, racist legislation that was ever passed And every racist terrorist attack that was ever inflicted on blacks was initiated by the members of the Democrat Party. Facts. From the formation of the Democrat Party in 1792 to the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s, congressional records show the Democrat Party passed no specific laws to help blacks Every law that they introduced into Congress was designed to hurt blacks. In 1894's Repeal Act, you can read about it. The Chronicles of History shows that during the past 160 years, the Democrat Party legislated Jim Crow laws. The Democrat Party, folks. But they tell me, a couple of school teachers, by the way, you need to learn your history. I'm like, where did you get your teaching degree from, toots? There were two ladies. All right, but nevertheless, shall I, do I need to, re, I'm going to go ahead and restate it. The Chronicles of History shows that during the past 160 years, the Democrat Party legislated Jim Crow laws, black codes, and a multitude of other laws at the state and federal levels to deny blacks their rights as citizens. History also reveals that the Republican Party was formed in 1854 to abolish slavery and challenge other racist racist legislative acts initiated by the Democrat Party. Facts. Some called called it the Civil War. Others called it the war between the states, but to black Americans at that time, it was the war between the Democrat and the Republicans over slavery. The Democrats gave their lives to expand it. Republicans gave their lives to ban it. Facts. During the Senate debate on the Ku Klux Klan, Act of 1871, it was revealed that members of the Democrat Party formed many terrorist organizations like the Ku Klux Klan to murder and intimidate black voters. 
the Ku Klux Klan Act was a bill introduced by a Republican Congress to stop Klan activities. Senate debate revealed that the Klan was the terrorist arm of the Democrat Party. Talk about it. Facts, baby. Now, I know many blacks will say, well, you know, that was then. You know, now the Democrats are for the black people. Really, the Democrats are for gaining your vote. The Democrats are for giving you some free handouts so that you'll vote for them and keep them in power. Imagine a program here, a program there. We had a we had a thing in Chicago quite a few years back called Midnight Basketball. I don't know if some of you remember it. They might have had it in some other cities, but I know we had it in Chicago. And Midnight Basketball was a program that allowed for the police and fire departments to hold midnight basketball games, tournaments, with young black youths, insert gang members, ne'er-do-wells and criminals of various calibers. And the point of this midnight basketball program was to give these hoodlums and thugs and drug dealers and such something else to do instead of going out and raping and pillaging and plundering. And immediately when I heard about it, I thought about that old joke. Some of you may have heard it. And it goes a little something like this. Quote. Well, it's not a quote. How do you stop five, insert the N-word, from raping a white woman? Yep. Throw them a basketball. Now, the point of this is that This story is that this is a program initiated and funded by the Democrats. George Bush, W., came into office and said, this is the silliest, (laughs) Republican, by the way, came into office and said, this is the silliest thing I have ever heard. This is a waste of money, and it's racist. We're going to go ahead and cancel that. And he did, or the Republicans did, because it's racist. I mean, if anything's racist, that is, in my opinion. And I don't like uh, crying the racist wolf, you know, selling wolf tickets, race tickets, playing the race card. I don't, you know, that's not my bag. But clearly, in my opinion, midnight basketball was racist as racist can be. And it was a Democrat idea. Well, you know, when the Bush administration canceled midnight basketball, man, Democrats were all up in arms over it. It was all over the news. Maxine Waters, yeah, she was involved. Conyers from from uh, Michigan was involved. That idiot um, who, who's, who, who speaks, and I can't understand the damn word he's saying, from Georgia, who whole claim to fame 
during the civil rights movement was he got his ass whooped. Y'all know who I'm talking about? I can't think of his name right now. He got it. He took a ass whooping, got hit in the head with a brick or something, and now he's like a civil rights icon because he took a ass whooping back in the '60s. You know who I'm talking about? That dude from Georgia, senator or congressman or something. All right, so racist racism. Have you ever heard of Joshua Wales or Hiram Rose? How about Joseph Hain Rainey? If you're not alone if you haven't heard of him. I taught history, and I never knew half of our nation's past until I began to re-educate myself by learning from original source materials rather than modern textbooks written by progressive Democrats with an agenda. Interestingly, Democrats have a long have long erased these historical figures from their textbooks only to offer deceitful propaganda and economic enticements economic enticements free stuff in an effort to convince people black Americans that it is the Democrats rather than Republicans who are the true saviors of civil liberties but luckily you have me and those like me, we can still venture back into America's real historical record to find the facts. And we'll find that facts are stubborn things. We'll take a closer look. All right. An 1872 print by Courier and Ives depicts the first seven black Americans. The first... Seven black Americans elected to the House of Congress, the U.S. Congress, during the Reconstruction period of 1865 to 1877. And guess what? They're all Republicans. Senator Hiram Rose, Rebels, Republican, Mississippi, already an ordained minister. Rebels served as an army chaplain and was responsible for recruiting three additional regiments during the Civil War. He was also elected to the Mississippi Senate in 1869 and the U.S. Senate in 1870, making him America's first black senator. Now, let me ask you something. Here, I'd like, for, I'd like to do a little experiment. Write this down. Senator Hiram Rose Revels, Republican from the great state of Mississippi. From, he, he lived from 1822. To 1901. Ask a black American. I don't do the whole African American thing, as you can probably tell. Ask another black American. Ask a black American who was who was uh, America's first black senator. What was his name? Especially one. Ask one of those liberals out there talking about black pride. Ask him. Let's move on to Representative Benjamin Turner, Republican from the great state of Alabama. From He lived from 1825 to 1894. Okay, so within just five years, Turner went from slave to a wealthy businessman. He also became a delegate to the Alabama Republic, Republican State Convention of 1867 and a member of the Salem City Council in 1868. 
1871, Turner was even elected to the U.S. Congress. We're talking about 1871, folks. And the hits just keep on coming. Representative Robert DeLarge, Republican, South Carolina. He lived from 1842 to 1874. Although born a slave, DeLarge chaired the Republican Platform Committee in 1867 and served as a delegate at the Continental Convention of 1868. From 1868 to 1870, he was also elected to the State House of Representatives and later Congress, serving from 1871 to 1873. Huh. And, and the list continues, folks. I, I, I'm going to go down the list. Why the hell not, right? Let, let's let's wrap it up. Because you know what? I've got about 30 minutes to finish off this show, but I think I'm going to do part two tomorrow. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do part two tomorrow if we don't finish up here. So let's move on to Representative Joshua Wales, Republican from the great state of Florida. He lived from 1842 to 1905. Wales was a slave who was forced to fight for the Confederate Army until he was captured by Union troops. He promptly enlisted with the Union and eventually became an officer. You heard me. In 1870, he was elected to the U.S. Senate. Unfortunately, harassing Democrats questioned his, questioned his qualifications until he was officially expelled. Although he was reelected after the first legal challenge, Democrats took control of Florida, and Wales was prohibited from returning altogether. Democrat. Not Republicans, folks. Let's move on down to my man, Representative Jefferson Long, Republican from the great state of Georgia. 1873 to 1901 is his his lifespan. Long was also born into what? Slavery. And he, too, became a successful businessman. However, when Democrats boycotted his business – you heard me? When Democrats boycotted his business, he suffered substantial financial losses. But that didn't stop him. Mm-mm. Long, who in 1871 became the first black representative to deliver a congressional speech in the U.S. House. Did you hear me? Long, in 1871, became the first black representative to deliver a congressional speech in the U.S. House. Representative Jefferson Long, Republican, Georgia, black man, former slave. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Representative Joseph Hayne Rainey, Republican, South Carolina, from 1832 to 1887. That's how long he lived. Also born a what? Yeah, slave. Rainey became the first black speaker of the U.S. House. <laughs> Did you hear me? Let me do that again. Representative Joseph Hayne Rainey, born a slave, became the first black speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives for a brief period in 1870. In fact, he served in Congress longer than any other black American at that time. 
Did you know any of these people? Did you Have you heard about any of them? Just one. And, and, and you know what? I wonder how many black folks out there know any of these names. I bet not a single one. I'll bet my entire fortune. I'll bet my Duncan Yo-Yo. Where is it? It's over here somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. My Duncan Imperial. Vintage, baby. Right here. Vintage. Duncan Imperial. Not, not a single black man that I could approach anywhere would know any of these names. Okay, so let's wrap it up with Representative Robert Brown Elliott, Republican, South Carolina. 1842 to 1884 is how long he lived. Elliott helped to organize the Republican Party through rural South Carolina. He was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1870 and reelected in 1872. In 1874, he was elected to the State House of Representatives and eventually served as, yeah, Speaker of the House in the state legislature. Talk to me. Who says black folks can't achieve? And think about it. All these folks are Republicans. And we're talking about the 1800s. Every single one. A Republican. Let that sink in. For just a moment. Yeah. All right. While we let that sink in, sink in. Let's 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 do this. Let's let's take a short break and come right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. This is the Dr. C. Robert Jones Conservative Report, weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Wow Radio Network. Jones Conservative Report, weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Wahoo Radio Network. America? President Barack Obama certainly thinks so. He said that racism is in our DNA. Really? If racism is in our DNA, doesn't that mean it's immutable, unchangeable? But America has changed, and dramatically so. In 1960, 60% of Americans said they would never vote for a black president. Almost 50 years later, the black man who said racism is in America's DNA was elected president, and four years later, re-elected. That's only the most obvious example of racial progress. There are many others. Take interracial marriage. As William H. Fry of the Brookings Institution wrote, Sociologists have traditionally viewed multiracial marriage as a benchmark for the ultimate stage of assimilation of a particular group into society. White marriages were still illegal in 16 states until 1967, and a 1958 Gallup poll found that only 4% of Americans approved of black-white marriages. Today, that number is 87%. In 1960, of all marriages by blacks, only 1.7% were black-white. 
Today, it's 12% and rising. Now, what about racial profiling and abuse of blacks by police? Doesn't that prove that racism remains a major problem? In the summer of 2014, Ferguson, Missouri became ground zero for this accusation when a white policeman shot and killed an unarmed black teenager. While a Department of Justice investigation of the incident cleared the officer of any wrongdoing, it did accuse the city's police department of racial bias. But what was the Justice Department's report's most headline-grabbing stat? The gap between the percentage of blacks living in Ferguson, 67%, and the percentage of those stopped by police for traffic violations who are black, 85%, an 18-point discrepancy. Racism, right? Not so fast. Blacks comprise 25% of New York City, but account for 55% of those stopped for traffic offenses, a 30-point discrepancy, far bigger than that of Ferguson. Why isn't the NYPD, a department that is now majority-minority, considered even more institutionally racist than the Ferguson PD? The answer is you cannot have an honest discussion about police conduct without an honest discussion of black crime. Though blacks are 13% of the population, they commit 50% of the nation's homicides. And almost always a victim is another black person, just as most white homicides are against other whites. In 2012, according to the Center for Disease Control, police killed 123 blacks while, by the way, killing over twice that many whites. But that same year, blacks killed over 6,000 people Again, mostly other blacks. What about traffic stops? Unlike when responding to dispatch calls, police officers exercise more discretion when it comes to traffic stops. Therefore, racist cops can have a field day when it comes to traffic stops, right? Actually, no. The National Institute of Justice is the research agency of the Department of Justice. In 2013, the National Institute of Justice published a study called Race, Trust, and Police Legitimacy. Three out of four black drivers admitted that they were stopped by the police for a legitimate reason. Blacks, compared to whites, were on average more likely to commit speeding and other traffic offenses. The Institute wrote, seatbelt usage is chronically lower among black drivers. If a law enforcement agency aggressively enforces seatbelt violations, police will stop more black drivers. The NIJ's conclusion, these numerical disparities result from differences in offending. In other words, not because of racism. Similarly, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration also found that blacks violate traffic laws at higher rates than whites. In every offense, whether it's driving without a license, not wearing a seat belt, not using a child safety seat, or speeding. Is there still racism in America? Of course there is. But racism is not in America's DNA. Recent history and a lot of research and data prove it. As liberal Harvard sociologist Orlando Patterson said, America is now the least racist white majority society in the world has a better record of legal protections of minorities than any other society, white or black, offers more opportunities to a greater number of black persons than any other society, including all of those of Africa. Patterson, by the way, is black. I'm Larry Elder for Prager University.
To subscribe to our YouTube channel, click here. To help keep our videos free, donate here. All right, folks, welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. That's my good friend Larry Elder. He is a, a radio personality and an author of some renown. He was born April 27, 1952 in Los Angeles, California. His education is University of Michigan, Brown University, Crenshaw High School, University of Michigan Law School. He is a black man, as black as they come. So, you know... I've had some folks say when I've played um, some of Larry's uh, stuff, some some clips. Oh well, you know, you know, a white man's gonna say something like that, or you know how they do, you know what they think. Larry's black, one of the blackest black men I know. So statistics don't lie. In some cases, they can be manipulated. Yeah. And they can be interpreted, but the numbers, the numbers don't lie. All right, so let's get back to what we were talking about. Clearly, clearly, the the, the later half of um, of the 19th century and for much of the early half of the 20th century, it was the Republican Party that was the party of choice for blacks. But how can it be? How, how could it be? Because the Republican Party was formed in the late 1850s and as an oppositional force to the pro-slavery Democratic Party. Republicans wanted to return to the principles that were originally established in the Republicans and the Republic's founding documents, and in doing so, became the first party to openly advocate a strong, strong civil rights legislation. Voters took notice, and in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president along with a Republican Congress. So that infuriated Southern Democrats, who soon afterwards left Congress and took their states with them to form what officially became known as the Slaveholding Confederate States of America. Meanwhile, Republicans pushed full steam ahead. Take, for example, the 13th Amendment of the Constitution that officially abolished slavery in 1864. Of the 118 Republicans in Congress, House and Senate, at that time, all 118 voted in favor of the legislation. Okay? You hear me? Once more, of the 118 Republicans in Congress, House and Senate, at that time... All 118 voted in favor of the legislation, while only 19 of 82 Democrats voted likewise. When somebody says to me, and they inevitably do, you need to learn your history. And I'm talking, black folks usually talk like that, so yeah, it's, it's usually coming from a black person. You need to learn your history. When the white folks say it, they say, well… You need to remember your heritage. So you know the difference? You get the difference? So, like, I need to learn my history. I'm a Uncle Tom. Blah, 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 blah. It's a wah, 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 wah. It just fades out after a while. And I don't know my history, 
and I don't know where I came from, and I don't remember where I came from and all that. Okay, well, here it is right here now. Okay, so then there's the 14th and 15th Amendments, guaranteeing rights of citizenship and voting to black males. Not a single Democrat voted in favor of either the 14th House and Senate or 15th House and Senate Amendments. So for those of you who continue to ask, how can a black man or how can any black person be a Republican? And well, there's a couple of reasons right there. In spite of this, in almost every southern state, the Republican Party was actually formed by blacks, not whites, folks, by blacks. Here's a case in point. Texas where 150 blacks and 20 whites created the Republican Party of Texas. But perhaps most telling of all with respect to the Republican Party's achievements is that black men were continuously elected to public office at that time, folks. Do you hear me? Hear me now. Believe me now. And you know what? Don't believe me. Go, to, go, go look for yourselves. It's all out there. So, um, 42 blacks were elected to the Texas legislature during this time period. 112 in Mississippi. I don't think we have 112 in Mississippi right now. It could be wrong, but I don't think so. I'm rarely ever wrong. So, because I, I keep the facts. 190 in South Carolina. 95 representatives and 32 senators in Louisiana. And many more elected in other states. All Republicans, Democrats didn't elect their first black American to the U.S. House until eight, uh, 1935. Was that too loud? Democrats didn't elect their first black American to the U.S. House until 1935. Political gangs with pointy hoods. By the mid-1860s, the Republican Party's alliance with blacks had caused a noticeable strain on the Democrats' struggle for elected, uh, electoral significance in the post-Civil War era. This prompted the Democrat Party in 1866 to develop a new pseudo-secret political action group whose sole purpose was to help gain control of the electorate. The new group was known simply by their initials, KKK. Hmm, what does that stand for? Hmm, let, me, let me think a minute. <sighs> Klu Klux Klan, there it is. This political relationship was nationally solidified shortly thereafter during the 1868 Democrat National Convention when formal, former, former, <laughs> former Civil War General Nathan Bedford Forrest was honored as the KKK's first Grand Wizard. Oh, but don't bother checking the Democrat. National Committee's website for proof of that. For many years, even though the nineteen, uh, the two thousand twelve, 
<laughs> presidential election. E for, even look, 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 look. Hold on. Let me let me start over. Even even up through the 2012 presidential election, the DNC had omitted all related history, all related history from 1848 to 1900 from their timeline. Check it out. Go to the DNC website. Nothing exists in their timeline from 1848 to 1900. Half a century worth of stuff. Now, for the 2016 election cycle, they scratched even more history. Apparently, they believe it's easier to just lie and claim to have fought for civil rights over 200 years while seeing fit to list only a select few distorted events as exemplary. Beginning as late as the 1920s, incredibly, the DNC conveniently jumps past more than a hundred years of American history. Wonder why? But you know, a lot of folks swear by the by the Democrat Party. They say that the roles have been reversed. Yeah, okay, because because you know at some point. The argument's lost. At some point, you know, history and the facts come into play. And so a Democrat, a liberal will say, that's ancient history. What about right now? The roles have been reversed. The Republicans are the racist, and the Democrats are now the party of the people. That's what they say. How is that so? I mean, they'll cite um, platitudes. Well, the Democrat Party fights for the black people. The Democrat Party cares about black people. The Democrat Party fights for blacks and other minorities. Do they really? Do they really? Think about it. When Nancy Pelosi talked about Donald Trump's tax cuts as being crumbs, when a lot of folks were getting over a couple two thousand dollars in their uh, back in their paychecks um, over the course of a year or even just a few months, she called that crumbs. Well, Democrats like to keep. Things in play like midnight basketball. They want to keep things in play like welfare, public assistance, government cheese, bread, the WIC program. They like to keep, well, let me just cut to the chase. I can cite the programs, right? But what they like to do is keep blacks in poverty. Because as long as blacks are in poverty, as long as there are blacks out there scraping for crumbs, getting their little um, their little debit card, a couple of hundred dollars a month, a little more if you got five or six youngins running around, 
created out of wedlock for the most part. No daddy in sight. He's gone. And the little kids are all running around. So you get maybe 100, 150 per child. So it kind of pays to make up a whole bunch more babies so you can get some more money from the government. And they just keep on giving it to you. Oh, but when you go to sign up for this free stuff, guess what comes with that? It's kind of like crack. It's kind of like uh, a drug. Because they got you hooked now. And you can be on, on public assistance for about two years. Getting that check. Getting that debit card. Getting all this free stuff. But free ain't free. We know that. But you're getting all this so-called free stuff. And then once the two years is up, all you have to do is reapply. And get another two years worth of free stuff. But what else comes along with that? Show them what you've won, Don. What they've won, Don Pardo. Well, of course, a nice, handy, fresh, off-the-presses voter's registration form. Yep, comes with every single application for public assistance. Here, I'm going to give you a little money, nigga. But you got to vote. So you can keep getting it. Yeah, you heard me use the word. Sure, I did. Not afraid. Because that's what they view us as. Let's, Let's just keep it real. We're a tool. As long as we exist, they stay in power. As long as we're down, they stay in power. As long as there's a need, they'll always be around. You know that. Well, folks, my time's just about up tonight. You've been listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. And I know there's lots of things you could be doing. But you've chosen to take a little of your time to listen to my show, and I certainly do appreciate it. Tomorrow, since we've got so much so much to talk about regarding this issue and this topic, we're going to do part two tomorrow. So come on back tomorrow for part two. And hey, if you want to talk, if you want to call in, call in. Call in numbers six four six. Six six eight eight six seven eight and Democrats, liberals, you're more than welcome. You'll be treated fairly. Call in and listen to the show. Thank you once again, and good night from the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Good night, folks.
Thank you. 